We're, uh, we're in a series, a vision series, and we are, and you may be glad to know this, I don't know, but we're coming to the end of it. This is our, our last week looking at uh, our vision and our hope for the future as a church. And I, I confess, I'm reasonably glad about that. Um, I've, I really believe in where we're headed as a church, but there's something quite strange about, I know, talking about yourself, um, even, even talking about your own church and what you hope to see, though, though I do believe it's necessary. What we've said throughout this is that our hope, our vision, our sight, our desire is to see a church on fire, to see a city alive. And at the heart of that is a conviction that the best thing we could possibly do with our lives is become more devoted to God. That's the key conviction. The best thing that any of us could do with our lives is to become more devoted to God. Specifically, we've been focusing on connection, what it means to be more connected, more connected to him, because that's the heart of everything that we're trying to do here, and also more connected to each other because connection to him is never independent. Christianity was never intended and it shouldn't be tried as a solo pursuit. Has to be done in community, that's the way it was designed. So it's always about connection. And the last week I spoke about giving and I know it was a, a strong word in, in certain parts. <laughs> um, and I think that is uh, important and it was important. And I guess I want to continue in talking about money and particularly generosity tonight. But I want you to know the reason I want to do that. And here's the reason. Two reasons actually. First, the first reason that if the church gets its act together in this area. I believe this is one of the contributing factors to the church becoming an unstoppable force. I believe that if the church can model a different perspective and a different attitude, a different heart posture in the area of money and finance and generosity, then there is the possibility of, well, the possibilities are endless. Not principally because there'll be more resources available to the church, God isn't short of cash. But because what that does in the hearts of the church, remember the church is not an institution, the church is us. The second reason is this, and I, I'm talking particularly now to folks who are, and we're all still in formation, but folks who are particularly at this stage in formation. The second great possibility and the great hope that I have when talking about this particular area and why I want to talk about it for two weeks and why we are talking about it in, again tonight is because money is powerful, uniquely powerful, as I said last week. And it has, our decisions around money have the power to form and shape us quite uniquely, I think. And if we learn at this stage, and I'm looking at some of you who are making decisions which are going to shape you for the rest of your life in this season of your lives, if we learn to make good and godly and wise decisions now, that will bear fruit for the rest of our lives. And who you are in five or six, should God will it, decades, will be radically different because of the decisions you make now. And that is, that is tr truer in this area than in most other areas. It's also true of your sexuality. Absolutely. But these two areas particularly are, have massive power to shape you as a human being. 
and as a disciple of Christ. Now, you may say the church is fixated on money and sex. I don't think that's true. But I do think these two areas have power to shape us as human beings. And that's why Jesus was, by the way, really interested in money and sex. So I want to talk about these things for those reasons as well. Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that I want you, just as I want me, to be free. And freedom doesn't look like the endless possibility. That's the cultural narrative, isn't it? Freedom is endless possibility. It's, It's the opportunities being endless. It's not having to narrow down. It's constantly having our vista completely and eternally open. That isn't actually freedom. Freedom is becoming the kind of person who instinctively chooses the good. Freedom is becoming the kind of person who is so given over to God that their very core sings out and acts out and lives out God's good future in the present today. That's who we want to become. Now, in the area of finance and money, what that freedom looks like is, above all, I believe, generosity. And so I want to talk about generosity tonight, but it comes out of my heart's desire to see people free. Because freedom in this area, godliness in this area, looks like generosity. So I guess the question is, why? Why should we? Why should we be generous? Why should we give? Why, should we, why shouldn't we keep to ourselves in this area, in the area of giving money or in any other area? And the first reason that we are to give and that we are to be generous is because giving and generosity reflects God's nature and character. And those two things are different. God's nature, firstly, his, his essence, who he is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to say, he is a community of persons. And those persons exist in loving and generous relationship. You know, it's... For the benefit of the tape, that pauses for dramatic effect. It's as if in heaven you've got God the Father saying, Jesus, I want to give you something today. Can I give you a little bit of love, Jesus? And Jesus saying, oh, go on then. Today you can. Today in this moment in eternity, you can give me a little bit of love, Father. Give it to me. And the Father just blessing Jesus with love and saying, oh, that felt good. I've got to pass it on, Holy Spirit. I've got something for you. Holy Spirit says, is it the same thing as yesterday? <laughs> it is. Come on then. Holy Spirit gets the love from Jesus and says, oh yeah, Jesus, that was amazing. Father, can I pass you something? Can I give you something? It's this generous, it's this constant flow and stream of love that exists at the heart of God. It's not just something God does, it's who God is. Do you see that? We are, as human beings, made in the image of God. That means that we become who we are when we reflect his nature. We are only who we are when we're reflecting his nature. And therefore, generosity for us is about becoming who we are. It's about becoming human. 
So to be miserly, to, to hold back is subhuman behaviour. It's not who humans are intended to be. For us to become human is to give because that reflects God's nature, but it also reflects his character. That is to say, what he does, when the rubber hits the road, what Jesus, what God is like is generous. He's a generous God. And, and we see that in creation, the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit existing for all time in eternity, just loving each other. Sounds like a, a cushy deal, right? And yet at some point in eternity, and I'm sure I can't even say that, but at some moment in eternity, as if such a thing exists, there was a decision made at the heart of the Godhead and the decision was to create an other. The heavens and the earth why was that decision made? When you've got it that good, why do anything else? Because God is generous. Because God is love and wants to share his love even beyond himself. And so God takes the risk of love in creation. It's because he's generous, it's who he is, it's what he does. But he doesn't stop there, he doesn't stop. By the way, and creation doesn't stop there. You know, God is still in the work of creation now. Through you and I, he is creating. If God didn't will creation into existence in this very moment, you and I would cease to exist. We would cease to have existed. Because God's word sustains us. God's very breath in and out sustains us in our lives. God gives, he continues to give. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he was generous, that he gave, he gave. The gospel, you know, if you don't get the creation thing, maybe you're more of a New Testament person, you don't like the Old Testament, you know, the old albums are a little bit more difficult to get hold of, but the new ones you like, well, the gospel is God's generosity, isn't it? In the gospel, the, the stories of Jesus, Jesus is God drawing near to us, God's generosity is so, so full that God cannot stay distant from the creation in any way. He becomes part of his creation. What extraordinary and extravagant generosity. God's so generous that he gives his own life for his creation. And in so doing, reconciles his creation with himself. He brings his creation home by swapping the most valuable thing that he has that is himself for the good of his creation. This is an extraordinarily generous being. God is the most generous being there is. Firstly, giving generosity reflects God's nature and character. Secondly, it's good for us. What's in it for us? Giving's good for us. Generosity is good for us. I read this this week in the Times, so it must be true, Right? A piece of research uh, had been done, well, there's a number of pieces of research, but I'll read a little bit about one. Several neurobiological studies support this idea, the idea being that giving is good for you. One shows that making charitable donations engages the same reward pathway in the brain as sex, drugs and food. Another that helping others activates the same neural circuits as when parents care for children. These instincts emerge very young. Pairs of toddlers aged 18 to 24 months will share their resources equally, even when one has to give up some of what they have. 
Astoundingly, both 18-month-olds and three-year-olds voluntarily give cold adults their own blanket or a sad adult their toy. They spontaneously give more to help an adult who has had their possessions destroyed or taken away than to one who hasn't, meaning they feel sympathy at an early age. This is hardwired into us. I think partly because of point one, who we're made to be. A paper on, on the science of generosity from the Greater Good Science Centre at the University of California, Berkeley, earlier this year, <clears throat> reports that the emotional rewards of giving appear to be lifelong and universal. Elderly people who volunteer or help others informally report greater life satisfaction and less depression than non-volunteers in subsequent years, even as their health diminishes. People who choose to buy a goodie bag for a sick child they will never meet are happier than those who buy it for themselves. Jesus was right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Data from 136 countries shows that those who were donated to charity over the past year reported greater happiness even after accounting for age, gender, poverty, education and, mar- and marital status. Do you want to be happy? Of course you do. You're better investing in generosity than anything else if you want to be happy. Giving is good for us. It's good for us. We see the research, but it's also clearly good for us from a scriptural point of view as well. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The the scriptural point that's being made here is, is, is that you're blessed if you give. It's blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You're blessed if you give. And one of the blessings you receive as you give is the blessing of provision. God provides. God provides for those who are generous. Jesus talks about this in Matthew's Gospel particularly. The Father knows what we need. You know, if He knows how to care for a sparrow, surely He knows how to care for His own people. But there's a concept here that that if we're generous, if we're abundantly generous, then we actually experience that God is abundantly generous with us as well. And I think what's going on is a, it's almost like a dynamic there where God is like looking down and again, you know, forgive me the analogies and metaphors, I don't think they really work, but we're dealing with concepts like heaven and earth and how do we really explain this? But it's as if God is looking down from heaven for anyone with open hands. And he just wants to say that it's the one with open hands. Well, a posture of generosity, a willingness to give, because if there's one with open hands, I'm going to fill those hands with blessing. I just want to bless them. Oh, they've got open hands. They're ready to give. Oh, watch you watch what I'm going to give them. And then there are people, the cold, dark corners with their hands closed, not understanding that in having their hands closed, not willing to give, they are also placing themselves in a position where they cannot receive. This is about a, a lifelong posture. And when we put ourselves in the position of having open hands before God, sowing sparingly, sowing generously rather, we're able to reap generously. And I must say this at this point, I am not here preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you give to the life of the church or if you give, you will always receive a multiple of what you have given in finance. I'm not saying that, this isn't a get rich quick scheme. This is about knowing that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, 
He promises to provide not everything we want. He's too good for that. But everything we need. And I love it here. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all these things at all times, just about see that from here, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. There's a purpose, there's a so that. And the so that is that you can do more blessing. Having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. You'll have more resource. More provision means more resource to share. The vision of heaven seems to be that we become conduits through which God's blessing is able to flow. And that is good for us and it's good for those around us. Remember when Amy and I moved to the USA, this is 2008. Some of you I think were primary school. Anyway, uh, we weren't. We were just married. We'd been married almost a year and we uh, had an opportunity to go and spend some time in America. Now we both gave up jobs to do that. Amy was quite good at her job. That was the difference, primary difference at that stage between her and I. Uh, nonetheless, um, and she was in recruitment. And I remember she was doing particularly well at that point. So it was an element of sacrifice in leaving that behind. And we arrived in the States and we didn't know really anything about, uh, about what was going to be happening when we were there. We just committed to go because we sensed it was the right thing and God was leading us there. And we took a backpack each. That was all, as well as my golf clubs because there's certain things you need in, in every place. <laughs> anyway, we arrived and they showed us around the apartment that they'd kindly prepared for us. And uh, we looked around the apartment and I, to say that it had a little bit, uh, it was a bit more minimalist than we'd expected would be to understate things. In fact, it was what they, it was known as in the trade, unfurnished. Um, except there was a plant in the corner and I made a joke, you know, we didn't bring any sofas with us, but I made a joke saying, oh, at least there's that plant, that plastic plant in the corner. And the real estate person who was showing us around said don't worry sir that'll be removed when you move in on Monday <laughs> that's the only thing we've got we had nothing it was, our, it was our wedding anniversary that Monday our first wedding anniversary and so we just prayed Lord <laughs> this we came here for an adventure and this is an adventure please Lord we just pray that you'd provide we've we've come here we've given our we've given stuff up for this we're here for you would you show us that you're a generous father would you would you move we got into the office uh, on that Monday morning, which is our wedding anniversary, and this lady, Donna, the most wonderful, wonderful person, bounded up to us and said, look, you'll never guess what. But I've just got an email from somebody in there in charge of these corporate apartments, and you know, the, this is 2008, the credit crunch and all that stuff had hit, and they've, they've decided to close down some of these apartments, and they've donated all of their furniture and you can go to their warehouse and we've got a truck just outside and just take whatever you want. Now, I didn't know what all their furniture was, but we went and there were sofas, there were beds, there were coffee machines, there was cutlery, the whole thing. God provided that very Monday and everything we needed for our three and a half years was provided in that moment. It was an extraordinary thing. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. The blessing is the blessing of provision. The blessing is the blessing of impact. The blessing is the blessing of impact. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed so that you can do more stuff with it and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way, every way. Not just monetarily, but 
in your very life with God, the, the impact will be inward. You'll receive an inward impact, an impact of communion with God. John Ortberg said this, the money deal is a trust deal, spoken like true Californian. Jesus understood when people give their treasure, something happens to their hearts and they open themselves up to experiencing the reality of God in their lives like no way else. The blessing of giving, the inward blessing of giving is a greater sense of the reality of God. Because when you throw yourself out there and you give in faith, what you're saying is, God, you've got to come through now. And on the other side, you're like, oh, you came through. Wow. We have this perspective in, 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 think our, in our culture, and it's in our Christian culture as well, that, that what you think in your head is what you believe. And that's actually not true, is it? What you do with your life is what you believe. And so when you do this with your money, when you give, when you're generous, you're basically putting your intellectual belief into flesh and blood. It's a powerful thing. Now, people think about this. You know, Jesus says, isn't he, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's what John Upberg's speaking about here. People think, and I myself have understood that to mean that my heart's got to be stirred before I give. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. And I would want to submit humbly to you tonight that that's not the case. That actually one of the most powerful things we can do in this area is to commit, is to make a decision. Where do I want my treasure to be? Where do I want my heart to be? Where do I want my heart to be postured? Where is it that I want to see my heart invested? And begin to invest our treasure in that place. And then wait and watch and see what happens in our hearts. The blessing is a blessing of provision, the blessing of impact inwardly, but also the blessing of impact outwardly. God does a work in our hearts that is powerful as we learn to lean on Him in this area. So God does a work not just externally, but also internally. Something happens in our hearts, but something also happens in the world around us. Outward impact. uh, And Paul says this, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Supplying the needs of the Lord's people, overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Others will praise God. Here's a picture of impact that goes beyond our own lives. And that's the hope here, is that our generosity has an effect beyond ourselves. And of course, it's true. It says here, supplying the needs of the Lord's people. And as I was preparing this, I just began to think, who are the Lord's people? Yes, they're the people in here, but there are also people that belong to Jesus in this city that don't yet know his name. Who are they? Think about the fact that your generosity, my generosity, our generosity can enable people to hear the gospel, people to respond to Jesus, people to be included into the family of God. Our decisions matter. It's an incredible gift, the gift of impact. And the third reason, so firstly, we give because giving reflects God's nature and character. Secondly, giving is good for us. The blessings that are there, impact, provision, but also giving resources, the mission of God. And I've just alluded to that. 
don't want to spend too long here, but I just want to say in the Old and New Testaments, there are pictures, powerful pictures of God's people stepping up in response to a call from God fundamentally and resourcing the mission of God. Stuff that wouldn't have been able to happen otherwise is able to happen because God's people step in. And you've got to ask yourself, why does God do that? Why does he set it up that way? Because surely there's another way for the God of the universe to to resource his own work. And I think it's because us partnering with him does something very, very powerful for us and in us. Resources the mission of God, but it shifts the people of God. It begins to help us. It helps us begin to understand what this is all about. And generosity and giving enables us to do that. I'm going to skip a few slides here just to buy back some time. The question then is how should we give? If you're convinced, and you may or may not be. <laughs> but let's say you're convinced that this really is good. And that this is something that you want to begin to think and pray about. Becoming somebody who gives regularly and generously. If you want to become that kind of person, how should you give? How should you do it? Well, I've got some suggestions you might be surprised to know. I've come prepared. Firstly, I want to suggest, humbly, of course, because now I can say anything I want. <laughs> humbly, I suggest uh, you should give, begin to give as an act of faith. What do we mean by that? In the Old Testament, the Jewish people would come before God, well, a few times a year, but two of those occasions that they'd come in major festivals, they'd come primarily to give to the life of the temple. That is the worshipping community. And the first of those was the festival of first fruits. And what they would do is they'd, on the basis of what they'd got in the early part of the harvest, they would give a tithe, 10% of that to God. And then they would wait and the harvest would come. Now, this was the moment where, uh, well, the, week, the number of weeks where, where they waited with bated breath because the weather could be very changeable and they just didn't know what the harvest would be like. And here's the thing, they'd already given their 10%. So if it was a bad harvest and, you know, they didn't get what they expected, they could be in trouble, but they'd already given their 10%. And after a period of seven weeks or 50 days, they would come at the festival of weeks. This is the festival they're celebrating when Pentecost happens. And then they would give out of their harvest, but they'd already committed. They'd already made their commitment. They'd already made their gift, their tithe. This was a, a gift, a second gift, out of the abundance, hopefully, of the harvest. And I think that articulates something a good principle of giving which is that we're to give as an act of faith and I'm going to illustrate with this with a a beautiful diagram look at the little piggies aren't they lovely look at their little tails very sweet this uh, is not from the bible you may be surprised to know I suppose it could be the parable no it's not parable anyway On the left-hand side of the screen, as you look at it, uh, the piggy bank on the left is the piggy bank of fixed items. These are the regular costs that life uh, contains. Mortgage, if you have one. Rent, if you have that. Uh, University fees or whatever else you pay. Food and clothing. Stuff that comes out of your account. Come what may. You need this stuff. 
to live. In the middle, you have monthly variables. If you want to do something a little different, or you have to, maybe your car breaks down, uh, car expenses will be up there, house repairs, or uh, maybe something that's regular, but, but not every month, so maybe a holiday or a gift, a birthday gift for somebody. That fit in the middle, middle column. On the right-hand side, we have discretionary spending. This is if you've got a little bit extra, you can do what you want. Go and, have a, go and treat yourself. Have a coffee, a beer, or whatever else, whatever else you like to do. <clears throat> many of us think about giving as pertaining to the right-hand side of the screen. We think that giving is about discretionary spending. If we have enough left over, then we'll give a little bit. I want to submit humbly to you that giving, biblical giving belongs on the left. That's what giving as faith looks like. It says, it means, well, when my paycheck comes in, if I should be uh, blessed enough to have one, <laughs> I'm going to give out of that at the beginning. I'm going to give uh, because that's my commitment. This is as important to me as what comes out for rent or whatever else. That's what it means, I think, to give in faith. We want to make that um, our practice if we're going to grow in this. It's so easy otherwise for it just to get squeezed out. We have a tighter month, it gets a bit more difficult. And it gets squeezed out. And for Amy and I, that's how we've been giving for the last 10, 12 years or so. And we've never been short. I don't tell you that. We've never, ever been short. It's been tight along the way. But we've never, ever been short. God has provided in some amazing ways. And we've had some extraordinary experiences along the way. We have had blessings that we could never have afforded, even if we'd hoarded all the money that we've had experiences that we just would never, ever have been able to afford, that God has just found ways to bless us with. We give as an act of faith, but secondly, we give as an ongoing adventure. I want to say this to you. One of the reasons I yearn for this for you is because it's an adventure. It really is. It's amazing. It's figuring out how is God going to do this this time? And I think actually that's part of the adventure he's calling our church into. Um, and that's a stretch for me as the pastor of this church because, I, I, you know, it's just one thing sort of trusting my own sort of finances to God, but what about trusting this whole thing to God? What if, what if, what if, what if? That's the stretch that I'm going through at the moment. But we give as an ongoing adventure. What do I mean? Well, uh, and I shared this a few months ago, so if you were here, you'd have seen this, but no doubt you'll have forgotten. The most basic level of giving, the beginning of the adventure is to give out of personal interest. That's maybe, uh, and the example of that is maybe we show up to a church or something like it, and we recognise that it costs something to deliver this. Uh, that The coffee probably has some cost attached to it that we've put on heaters and there's electricity and everything else. You say, well, I'm part of it. I'm getting a benefit, so I'm going to give something. That's giving out of personal interest. That isn't a bad reason to give, by the way, at all. It's not bad at all. It's not yet biblical giving. But it's, it's a good start. And many of us give at that level. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's just the beginning, I submit to you. The next level is to give out of spiritual gratitude or gratitude. We've experienced God some, somehow and in some way. And we recognise, not because we have to, but because we want to, that we want to give something back. Psalm 116 says, what can I give to the, what can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? I'll raise a, uh, a cup of celebration, a toast to God. I'll pay back what I vowed to him. 
That's kind of the picture of spiritual gratitude. That Because God's blessed us, we want to give back to Him. That's a great place to be. But it's not the end. It's not the, it's not the goal, but it's a good place. And some of you are there, and I just want to say, Amen, bless you. There's some adventure left to live. And, and the next stage of the adventure might be giving from obedience. And I, I, I know obedience isn't a sexy term, and it's not a sexy word, but there's real value in it. There's real power and value in it as well. What might obedience look like in the area of generosity? Well, in the scriptures, certainly in the Old Testament, it's very clear there's at least two kinds of giving. There's regular giving, giving or in the Old Testament, it's described as the tithe where the people of God would give. It's actually at least the first 10%, as I displayed to you before. Actually, some, some scholars say that the tithe would actually amount to eventually about 23, 24%. But at least the first tenth would go to God. And that's, some people say that's an Old Testament thing. And yes, it is. But, but yet Jesus in Luke's gospel clearly affirms that practice. Come and speak to me after if you want evidence of that. More than that, uh, I don't believe the tithe is necessarily uh, overcome or uh, abolished by the completing of the Old Testament law because the tithe is actually given before the law is given. If that's relevant to you, you're interested in that, that might be helpful. And I believe as well, we're under grace and not under the law as Christians, but that certainly shouldn't mean that we're less generous than those who are under the law. So there's an opportunity, that there's a picture there of regular giving, of giving through obedience, just because God wills it. He wants it and he wills it for me and for you. And then there are also free will offerings where we just offer God more than just the regular, just because that's what is in our hearts to do. That's giving from obedience. Again, that's a great space to be. And many of us have been taught about this for years and that's where we are. That's primarily where Amy and I sit, I think, most of the time. Just a regular practice of giving, our practice to give uh, 10%, a little bit more than 10% to the life of the church. And we're trying to grow. Every year we're trying to grow a bit more. Um, and that's our journey. And then there's giving out a sacrifice. And this is where it gets scary. And this is where it scares me. This is giving which is, is scary for us. This is like, no, Lord, I, this is going to really cost me. Think of that picture in the Scriptures of the, the woman who comes into the temple and gives the, the last coin she has. And Jesus says, this woman gave far more than everyone else because they gave out of their abundance and she today gave all that she had to live on. I've seen people do that in this community. I've seen people who don't have enough giving really, really generously, giving abundantly, giving sacrificially. It's an amazing thing. I don't pretend uh, that I live there. This is about reliance on God in a different way, but it's not the end. It's a great place to visit. There might be a few times in your life you go there. There's another place, and the final place is giving from love. Think of the woman who breaks open the alabaster jar, kneels at Jesus' feet and anoints his feet. She gave a year's worth of wages. It's the kind of giving where if somebody asks you why you did it, the only possible answer could be she gave because of love. It's so out there. It's almost offensive, if not directly offensive, but it's pleasing to God. I'm not trying to get you all to the top of the pyramid. I'll see you on the way up. <laughs> 
My question to you is simply, where are you? And where do you feel God calling you to move to? And that is a conversation that you must have with God. Don't have it with me. I can help you. I can, our team, we're glad to speak about it with you. But it's not my desire to get you to a certain place. This is about your journey and your discipleship. And I would encourage you to have a conversation with God about it. What does the next step look like for you? All right, let's land this. What does this look like for us as a community? What are the next steps for Trinity? Firstly, I want to acknowledge, we need to acknowledge how blessed we are. Have a look around you. What a ridiculous building we're in. It's, isn't it amazing? What, what church plant that's two years old gets to be in a building like this? It's crazy. Some of you have just arrived and you've only known this. You've only known the promised land. It's, not, it's an incredible gift. It's an incredible resource. It's not for us. It's for people who aren't yet here. We get to enjoy it though. But we've been so blessed in so many ways. And we have gratitude for that. We also have gratitude for the people who have stepped into generous giving already. And that's not a small number of people. Many people have given regularly and generously. And some very sacrificially and in wonderful ways. It's been just a wonderful thing. It's been, it's awesome. So we're grateful and we acknowledge that. Secondly, I, I do believe this is a moment of, of a transition for us. And the transition I feel God is leading us on is it's about growing up. I talk about this with our staff quite a lot. This is a moment for us of, of shifting, where it's about growing into greater maturity and I believe greater maturity in this area for us as a church looks like greater engagement, more people being engaged, more people taking ownership of this, of this church, of what God is doing here and in this particular area. We've been so blessed by outside groups. We received a grant from the church that planted us. The diocese at the same time matched that with another grant. And individuals have been extremely generous. We've had a couple of uh, trusts as well give us some money. All of that got us going and enabled us to do some of the stuff that we've done in this building. But what has got us here won't get us where we're going. And now I believe it is a moment for us as the church to step up together into a new level of generosity, a new level of commitment and ownership. A healthy household looks like full engagement, everyone playing a part, not just in this area. Don't, don't, don't hear this to be just about this. Also about serving. Uh, it's also about encouraging one another. It's about praying for one another. It's about hosting one another. It's, about, it's all, the, all of it, but it's also about this. The acknowledgement, gratitude, the challenge, the need. We think that for the next year, that is 2019, for us to do, continue to do what we've been doing and uh, continue the work of developing this building and heat it. <laughs> we believe that's going to cost in the region of an extra 100K. So £100,000 on top of what we're currently, um, we're currently giving as a congregation. Now, that might sound to you like a lot of money, and it is. However, if you think about it in another way, that, that, would, that would mean... 
150, uh, and we're going to use a phrase that doesn't make any sense, giving units, that is individuals or couples or families or whatever, but giving peoples or people, giving an extra £50 per month. Put it another way, £50 per month would be roughly the cost of a coffee per working day in the month. So it's doable. It's doable. And some are, be, some, are, some are going to be able to give at that level without too much bother. Some are going to want to give much more than that level. And for some, that's going to be too much of a stretch for now. That's okay. It's not the quantity we're after. That's not certainly what I want. I, I just want every one of us to have a conversation with God. And I trust that when we do that and when we listen to his voice and we obey it, God will provide everything we need. So that's the need. Practically, what this is going to look like is I'm going to pray for us and hopefully this week we're going to go away and pray about it too. And next week and for the week after, we're going to have an opportunity to give and to pledge for the next year. And you are pledging for a 12-month period. So if you say you're going to give X next year, we're not going to assume that you're going to give X forever. There's two groups of people here. There's one maybe group who are new. And for you, this is about beginning to give something to the life of this church as your outworking of this practice of generosity. And there's others, the old timers, who've been here maybe even for a full two years, if you can believe it. And you're already giving. And for you, this is another question. Is, Lord, is there, is there more that you're asking me? Is there a more? Is there a next step? So that's what we're going to do. Why not a close in prayer? Why don't we stand and we're going to worship the generous and gracious Father. Father God, we do thank you now for your great generosity to us. Thank you that you promised to bless us. You are blessing us and you are and have resourced us. And we trust this conversation into your hands and we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct each one of us as we seek to move on in the adventure of generosity. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be generous with us in the way that you would speak to us and you would give us great courage to follow your leading. And we worship you this evening in light of who you are and what you've done. And we bless you and we praise you. Amen.